Having Sage approved audio for our car rides is a literal lifesaver for my nervous system and I love making lists of podcasts to share with him when he's ready. I was so excited to hear about a new show called Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, math, geared toward the six plus crowd. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time traveling adventures. Recently, we had some family visiting, and on our way to dinner, we popped on an episode of Mysteries About True Histories, Math, with my niece and nephew in the car. In this episode, Max and Molly travel back in time to solve a mystery from the order of the problem solvers, along with lots of kid humor mixed in. It was a fun way to enjoy our car ride together and opened the door for some interesting conversation about history and understanding some of the mysteries of the past. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, the perfect length for car rides and meal times, and stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Voices of Your Village. You're listening to episode number 29. Guys, this topic is one kind of like the gunplay episode where I had opinions going in and I changed them throughout the episode. I sat down with Ross Thompson. He is a teacher and now in administration in early childhood. And he and I talked about rough and tumble play and wrestling and what tiny humans can learn from this and what it does for their bodies and why it's actually really important. You know that I'm always coming from this place of like wanting to teach kids consensual touch. And I I guess I've just, I've seen rough and tumble play happen in a way that didn't align with my values. And Ross laid it out for me in a way that, that really did. And he taught me about ways that we can be teaching consensual touch through rough and tumble play. He also talked about the like necessary outlet for kids for rough and tumble play and just gross motor play in general and how we can do that with boundaries to keep kids safe and make sure that everybody participating is a willing participant and that everybody feels safe and it's done in a respectful manner. I I learned so much from him and uh, I actually am going to be on his podcast in a couple weeks talking about sleep. Uh, I'll keep you all posted, but he is fantastic and I'm super jazzed for you guys to tune into this. While you're listening, will you do me a favor and just take a little screenshot and share it to your Instagram stories or share it in a post or share it on Facebook and tag Seed and So. It's S-E-E-D dot and A-N-D dot S-E-W. I would love to see where you're tuning in from, what your thoughts are. I can't wait to hear from you on this episode. I think this is a hot topic. I know it, it has been in the early childhood world, and I really want to hear your thoughts. Also, if you guys are digging this, the best thank you you can give me is to share it with your friends, to share it with folks who are in these trenches too. Together, I genuinely believe we can raise emotionally intelligent humans, and I'm counting on you to spread that around and to share this as a resource for folks who are also looking for that same mission. Thanks. Y'all are the bomb. Can't wait to hear from you. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. 
we combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blast Campbell. Welcome to Voices of Your Village. Today we're here with Ross. Hi, Ross. Hi, everybody. I met Ross at a conference this spring, and it, we just hit it off right from the get-go. It just made sense. <laughs> and uh, found out that he was also a podcaster, and immediately on our way home, my colleagues and I started tuning in. Mm-hmm. So, And ever since then, I was like, we have to have him on at some point. And um, I'll tell you a little bit about it, but I was on vacation and noticed something, a conversation kind of come up and was like, ooh, Ross need to talk to him again. <laughs> so I pulled him back in. Ross, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I sure can. Well, uh, I'm stationed in, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and have been working at the University of Minnesota for 13 years. Uh, I did my undergrad and graduate work there in early childhood, and then I was working at the lab school, the Shirley G. Moore Laboratory School, um, while finishing my program. And then that's where I did uh, the last 11 years of my teaching career. We're, as a lead teacher, we're leading a a classroom of three, four, and five-year-olds, but also mentoring the college students in in my classroom. So they were doing their student teaching with me and then also doing um, course instruction. So leading courses on cognitive language development, early childhood, as well as um, what what my first course was, course instruction, creativity and motor development. And that's kind of my field of, uh, I guess, the one that just rings the truest to me, the one that just makes sense right away is how the physical body moves, how it, how we learn through movement and why it's such a necessary part. And so that was kind of the past. And now I'm actually opening a new program. So a very exciting thing. So any, any listeners in Savage, Minnesota and the surrounding Twin Cities want to come to Wildflower Early Learning Center, come on down. But um, as Alyssa said, I um, co-host a podcast called Teaching with the Body and Mind, which really centers around movement and the importance of moving to learn and the group of us, there's four of my, uh, myself included in the co-host pool. We're all, it started with through a big body rough and tumble conversation group. So a couple of years ago, we all met at a, the national conference and started talking, being all from Minnesota and being interested in this topic. We got, well, we should get together and share ideas and, you know, questions we have or, you know, concerns we have or that come up from families. How do you address these things about why, why is wrestling a good thing? Why do we, why do you want to let children get into these bigger, boisterous, riskier kinds of play? And it be, from that has created this podcast uh, to help families really, and educators uh, and anyone who has questions about why movement is so important for young children and really for everybody. Yeah, I, it's such an important topic, and it's, I, I like how you pointed out educators, too, because I, as you know, worked at a lab school where mm-hmm. teachers with master's degrees and in early childhood, and this is our career, and still this was a conversation even right. at our school. We had a presentation last year on rough and tumble play because we were all split as a, as a, as a teaching group, and we needed to kind of come to what's going to be universal here. What are we all going to let happen or not let happen? When do we step in all that jazz? And I don't 
a hundred percent have an opinion on this yet. There are things that I recognize need to happen or should happen, but it's not black and white for me. There's a lot of gray area here. And so I'm excited to dive into this. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was on vacation and there were tiny humans on vacation with me always. There's always tiny humans in my space. And uh, they, some of them were like wrestling and rough and tumbling. And there was a discussion that happened among the adults who were sitting in beach chairs about kind of what, some people felt uncomfortable what our approach was do we stop it do we not how far do we let it go what role does emotional development play in this yeah or the ability to communicate when we're looking at different ages and and cognitive abilities and so we had this like spirited discussion and I didn't have answers yeah (laughs) I had perspective and thoughts but he didn't have answers and so I wanted to dive into it with you since this is such a focus for you I think my first thing that I want to clarify is like, what is big body play? What does that mean to you? To me, it means a lot of things. I'll back up for a moment. I think when uh, it's becoming a bit of a buzzword or kind of something that we know is is becoming a part of the field or a part of just our lives in general, really, it's been a part of our existence for however long you believed humans to be around um, because Big body play involves your whole body and it involves, you know, moving big and also moving small. And it sometimes involves uh, kind of force and impact with another person. And that's where big body play often gets lumped together with rough and tumble. And we assume that it's wrestling and play fighting and karate and all these things, which those are absolutely versions of big body play, but uh, dance and yoga and stretching and playing statues and tree climbing and you know, rolling down the hill, all of those things are other versions of big body play because your whole body is engaged and um, you're having to use, you know, it's multi-sense, your proprioception is engaged where you're having to really be fully immersed and engaged in a play to participate. Um, And that's, you know, on on hour 12 of our conversation today, you know, we can get into how actually there's you can be sedentary and not active and still a part of the play. You know, I think there's this, as you were kind of talking about, like not knowing the answers and the fact that, you know, anytime that we put our present our group puts our presentations into a conference, we're gonna get selected. We'll be at the, again the national conference this fall in DC doing a three-hour conference on the Wednesday of half day programming because there's still so many questions and the only answer, or I guess I have all the answers because no, no. <laughs> thank goodness. <laughs> right here we are. No, um, the biggest answer to the to that question is you just have to be honest with yourself. There isn't a right way. There isn't a should. There isn't a you need to do more of this. And we we push that very quickly, kind of whenever we're presenting or often re, you know reinforcing that in the podcast. And with my students, both in the classroom as well as in the court and uh, doing the coursework with the families that have at conferences, because it, it comes up, what do we do? Do we let kids wrestle? Do we let this happen? And if you're comfortable with it, if you can keep children safe and help, you know, maintain a sense of rules and that there's that you are going to be there to help stop it if need be, then great, go for it. But just because we say, yeah, 
wrestling can be really therapeutic, it can be really growth producing, it can be really empowering for some children. Doesn't mean everybody who attends their conference should start WrestleMania on Monday morning. Because if you're not comfortable with it, the children are gonna tell you're not comfortable with it. And if you're not in a place where you feel like you can stop it in a, and, and really know what the rules are, or, um, you know, collect a set of rules with the children, then it's not going to feel as safe and, and comfort. Or there's not going to be that comfort and safety for the children. Do you usually set up rules ahead of time? Or is it something that like you kind of play it by ear and when you see that it's not consensual, then you step in? Like what, what are those? How do you approach that? For, for me, my comfort level is really high. Um, I think because I was one of those children too who wanted to run and jump and climb and play fight and do any kind of sport that was available. So I'm very comfortable in my coordination, my movement. So I also love to create games in the moment on the fly. We, you know, we have a bag of ball pit balls, sticks, and some rope. Okay, let's make this, let's make a game out of this. Mm -hmm. And so I can kind of have that freestyling in the same sense when, when that kind of play is coming from the children, the biggest, another big part of this is you got to know your children. You got to mm -hmm. know who you're working with and who's going to react in what way. If you know you've got that child who's still figuring out perspective taking and doesn't understand that somebody accidentally might bump them down in this game and it's not intentional, then you have a different set of rules for those versus the children who all have played together for you know, three years and are basically like siblings and can really know each other's cues and read each other's body language. And, and when they verbalize, they'll stop when they say stop. So having all of that in there, that's going to influence how the, we create the rules. Oftentimes, if it's something new that we're trying, like if we, we uh, years ago invented the bumping game, which uh, as being someone that, that experiences uh, pretty drastic winters, in Minnesota, we were cold for a long time and we need to be outside. And, you know, there can be that sense of, well, we just got to move and children want to, you know, when you're in snowsuits, you're big and puffy and you yeah. got a lot of extra cushions. So <laughs> they just would run and kind of bump into each other. And, you know, we made the rules of you have to cross your arms kind of in front of your body to give yourself so you're not hitting face to face. You're hitting usually arms and arms and body to body first. You can go two people at a time, you know, one-on-one, -on -one. you both look at each other and you say, are you ready? Yes. Are you ready? Yes. So everybody agrees and consents to playing. And then you get three bumps to try to knock each other down. And if nobody falls down after three bumps, then you stop and then you, you know, let another group go. If somebody falls down, you help them up. You can say a good game. You can, you know, say, let's do it again. But that came from playing this with children and watching them going, okay, let, all right, just bump into each other. Oh, okay. Well, me as the responsible adult for children's safety. All right. Four people is too many for me to be able to keep safe. Let's do one. Let's do two people. What else should we do? And working with the children. So the rules, you know, I, I know what's going to be probably the most safe and it might not be the most fun. So what am I comfortable with? Do I, am I okay with people bumping? Yeah, I am. Could they bump heads and faces and, you know, yeah, they could. Do children sometimes get hurt during this? Yeah. 
more often than not, it results in laughter and fun and that internal sense of this feels really good and I'm making friends and I'm feeling more confident in myself. But the other part of that is that the children are a part of that rule process. What do you think we need for this game? Do you get to keep playing if somebody punches? Do you get to keep, if this is a game of tag or chase, can you just touch bodies? Can you tackle bodies? Can you, you know, what, what feels right? And does the group agree? And sometimes we get a group consensus and everybody wants to play. Sometimes it's a 90-10 kind of, you know, agreeance and say, well, it sounds like the group wants to play this. Now you can join us. We can make a special, like, if you don't want to get tackled, we'll try to remember that. Or you can just watch until you feel ready to play. So, you know, that's the, I think, another big part of why, how to lead successful big body and rough time of play is that it's actually very structured. Doesn't mean you have to have that hold on it all the time, but that there are clear rules and the children know that there's ways to play this. I think one thing that stood out to me there was the idea of consent when you were talking about kids who have like played together for three years or whatever, that they knew what other people's expressions meant and uh, knew when to stop. And I, I think for me, that was a huge reservation in doing rough and tumble. I also worked in infant toddler where this is a little different in that we are still trying to teach kids. A lot of them aren't talking yet or barely talking. And we are really working on empathy and and starting to really read people's emotions and all that jazz. But a lot of my kids weren't there yet necessarily, not in the way that a three, four or five-year-old would be. And so for me, consensual touch is non-negotiable. And if I couldn't always be there to go pull somebody apart, if need be, if their face changed, then for me, it was not going to happen. Yeah. So I guess, how do we start to teach these tiny humans to look at facial expressions, to look at the nonverbal cues as much as the verbal cues? Right. That's one of the, those kind of undercurrents that I think people miss of why rough and tumble play, wrestling, all of these things are so important because this is where you're going to do that real learning. This is, it's, you know, it's, you can talk about it at group time, you can read about in a book, but if you're always doing table activities and you don't really have any conflict come up or you don't have any times where you need to express these feelings yourself or listen to somebody else's expressions, then it's, then you get to an older age where you've started to hardwire and then you, you're misreading cues or you're not, you don't know how to ask for consent or recognize consent. It's, that's, a, that's a whole other podcast that we can talk about for the adult world, but this is where it really starts. Right. How you do know? you teach it from such well, a young age? So if you have siblings, say, right. you, know, you have a two-year-old and an infant, right. um, how, do you, how do you teach that consent? You know, it's really the same way that we teach all aspects of learning. We want to build children's vocabulary and we properly label our kind of, um, yeah, we label and name things all around our house, you know, talking about your feelings. Like, this is my face when I'm mad. I'm, you know, we're laughing. I'm feeling really happy. And it can kind of, at times, probably sound really formulaic or almost kind of fake. 
but we have to remember as adults, we've learned, hopefully have learned a lot of these things and have done this for a very long time. Infants, toddlers, preschoolers are all learning these things for the first time. And that, you know, we might learn how to make pancakes with just one set of instructions. And then, okay, I kind of remember how to do this. Children might need to do that recipe 50 times before they're like, okay, we need flour, we need eggs, we need, you know, they'll, they really need to do a lot of practice. And that's where our roles as the adults, whether we're educators, whether we're parents, whether we're family members, trying to figure out those ways to have opportunities. Oh, you know, especially for these young children who don't have language, helping toddlers say, oh, I can see you want the trains right now, but she's still using them. So you need to wait till, till she's done. And I can help you remember, or we can ask, are you done with the trains? No, oh, yep, she still wants to keep playing. Can he use them when you're done? Yeah, okay, great, I'll, she'll bring them to us. So what are we gonna do until we're ready? Or till she's ready to give them up? Till she's done playing with them. So it's, it's that kind of modeling. Tony Christie, who's a, an author and childcare worker from New Zealand, um, she and her husband, Robin Christie, do presentations all around the country. So if you ever get a chance to talk to, to them, they're great too. She has a book called Respect for Infants. And it's a great resource for really learning how to respect and honor consent for children. She's from very early talking about how in their program and with the children she works with, you ask if they want a diaper change and wait till they give you a cue. Yeah, you might smell that they're ready for a change. And it doesn't mean you let them sit for 10 hours in a soiled diaper, but there's, there's that in initial communication that starts happening. Oh, I can tell you might need a change. Do you feel like you need one? And they might just look at you and kind of go back to playing. She says, what'll start to happen is they'll ask that. And some children will then turn and then reach up to ask to be picked up. That, that's a form of communication. That's, yes, I need your help right now. I feel uncomfortable. I need help with this. Right. We're starting very early with those things. It doesn't mean, again, we're going to start baby fight club and then let children <laughs> try to wrestle hammered out because we know developmentally they're not ready. Mm -hmm. Toddlers are the same way. Wrestling and rough and tumble is a, that bigger kind of stuff is harder for toddlers because they're not at a point of development where they understand that this is accidental or this is fun, but it might be wrestling and tickling with an adult or, you know, thing. And again, oh, I can see you're not, your your face is telling me to stop. I'm going to stop. Right. And say the words, you can always hold your hand up. And that means no more. That means I'm done. Or it's sign language. There's means that, there's ways that children can communicate before they're verbal. And if we, the adults, know what those cues are, if we know how to read, that's the foundation that starts the conversation of consent that helps that I, I as the two-year-old, as the 18-month-old, can show you, can express to you, I don't want this. Right. This works. It doesn't, yeah, again, it doesn't mean you get to, you know, do whatever you want all the time. Because, yes, sometimes we do have to change you. It's, you know, I don't want, I don't want you to, to get a rash. I don't want you to be uncomfortable. I'm going to help you now. But we'll keep practicing. We'll keep having these chances where I want you to kind of tell me when you need it. Because um, she had explained in a, in a conference that eventually the infants come to you and can say, yep, this is what I need. Because as they learn anything else, 
right. they know that there's an, a, there's going to be a response that's going to help them. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com code VILLAGE for 20% off your order. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. One thing this year, I was in a classroom of ones who turned two with me. Um, And we would visit the baby room quite frequently. And there was a maybe like eight month gap between my oldest and youngest, which is pretty big at that age. Um, And so my older kids really got to like kind of practice with old infants. And I, it was, it was really awesome to see kind of like what worked and what didn't in everyday life day to day with this age gap. And one thing that I found largely successful was just pointing out to my older kids like, Oh, I see that they pulled away when you got close. Maybe they need more space. And just highlighting what I was seeing that was showing me those nonverbal cues so that my older toddlers could start to learn that and so that my older infants could feel heard and know like, yeah, when you pull back, that is sending that signal. Exactly. Um, It it does feel silly, right? Like we're just narrating the space all the time. (laughs) But it was so helpful. Right. But it's, it's one that is so interesting that it be, I don't know if it's 
just the situation of the of the current climate uh, or how many of us have grown up from you know when we were children that mapping of you know, even changing diapers well now i've got to wipe your bottom I, this is going to be the you know taking away the poop to you know make you feel better just that kind of it again it sounds we get kind of uncomfortable with that mapping oh you know i can see they don't like when you go up and hug them without asking or they're pulling back that mapping of you know their actions and your language is the same thing we do there's the blue car look at the big brown dog oh you know and i was i was out pulling weeds this morning and a couple families with young children going by like that's a car that's a car that's a, how many cars do you see and you know we do that in so many other ways where we're so quick to quiz and ask and do but when it comes to emotional stuff we often Get uncomfortable we're like i don't really know how to do this or say this or, and but that's this is that learning and one thing that comes up in in many conferences with my parents would be um oh, i was so sad you know when that when the teachers are leaving i was gonna i was gonna start crying but i didn't mm. oh this would be the most appropriate time to cry in front of your children and tell them why because they're gonna why are you do why are you crying and then trying to explain that, well, I'm, I'm happy for these people because they're going on to a new job or they're, they're doing the next thing. But I'm sad because I'm going to miss them because I really care about them. And then trying to, you know, then you can get into the reason why you have happy tears versus sad tears. And, but it's all of that language that helps children grow this emotional self. So when we get into preschool and we're starting to wrestle, I don't feel good about this. I'm not comfortable. Okay. That's, yeah, I can, I can feel it. I can express it. And eventually I'll get to a point where some, I, I know other children may not know that yet, but the adults here are going to help me with that. And so I think that's where, again, your own comfort as the adult, can you, how well do you read cues? How well do you know these children? Again, the first week of school, probably not the time to, to start the wrestling game, but you might have that really high active energy producing group who has is ready to go day one go in the hallway and run back and forth i mean we we don't you know a lot of my games are the names aren't very creative the bumping game the running game <laughs> wrestling, you know you know but we need to go in, in our in the hallway of the school because it's just too packed in the classroom the energy is too high all right you six i can see we need to get this out let's go run up and down and it can be one at a time it might be two at a time probably six at a time is a little bit tricky, but I say, how many should we have go? Can you navigate this? Mm -hmm. you be able to watch out for each other. Right. If it's one, if it's one at a time, run down, you high five the next person and they go. So we have a little bit of that physical impact. Mm -hmm. We can do it in a way that then, you know, you're still getting to run and move. So again, those aspects of your comfort level, if you're not comfortable in, in delegating that, that's okay but try to figure out ways that how do you help other children feel comfortable right. in expressing themselves and being themselves. And then you'll see how your confidence starts to grow as well. Right. One of the things that I, that like stood out to me there of like comfort, I think it's not just in this consensual piece, but also like, are we comfortable with the risk, right? That oh, like yeah. you said, like some kids might get hurt in this game yep. and 
managing that risk of like, how, how bad will they get hurt, right? Is it, right. we're not going to let them run into the street and potentially get hit by a car, but I might let them fall off of this tire that they're climbing on. Exactly. Right? Like managing that and, and being okay with that. And I want to monitor my reaction to the, you fell off the tire because I don't want them to have the same reaction to you're running into the street. I want them to know if they're running into the street that the reaction I have there is, is serious and that that's not a safe choice and it's a hard no. So if I have the same reaction when they fall off the tire, then -hmm. when they run into the street, they might keep going because they're like, well, I survived the tire fall. Right. Exactly. I think that I'm just like, yep, yep. Uh, so many things to say because it's exactly that. Like there are things that you know there you don't get to run in the street. No, nope, you don't get to jump out of that 12 foot tree onto right. the rock pile underneath. But right there, there risk is a huge part of rough and tumble play. It's a huge part of life. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we think that, oh, risky stuff is often just physical. That's a lot of it. But, you know, think about when, you know, oh, middle school, we've all been there. Going up to approach that new kid that you're like, oh, you have a Joy Division t-shirt on. I really like that band too. Like there's some risk involved in going and approaching a new person to make friends or maybe somebody that you're interested in. Like how do you, you know, so there's that emotional risk and the social risks there. But it comes back because, again, to, to reference the namesake of the podcast that I host, Teaching with the Body and Mind, we learn a lot through our bodies and a lot of, especially in the early childhood years, it comes through that. So yeah, the, t- the, the taking risk is a big part of it. And children are usually really pretty good about their own risk assessment. Right. I can do this. I'm comfortable with this. I'm not. There's some that aren't in the same way. Oh, you know, that's a little too high. And again, your expression of how you're feeling, I'm worried about this because I don't know if I can keep you safe. Right. I'm worried that if you jump from that high, you might land harder than you think. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I if you climb that high in the tree, I don't know if I'm going to be fast enough to catch you if you were to slip or for the branches to break or something. So you can be, oh, you can be transparent with your feelings of it. Are you like, I just don't like the wrestling game. Do we want to play a different version of this or should I get another teacher to switch? Mm. you can you can say those things right but to go back uh see this is where i was like i gotta start writing notes as we're talking um <laughs> you know that reaction piece mm-hmm. this this is something that's dangerous and there's that's the there's risk versus hazard and hazard is you running into the street that nope that's a rule we have that you just can't do now i should say not that you can never do it but you need, we need to establish a safe way to do this. Tonight in, in Minneapolis is open streets. So, I mean, uh, neighborhood night out. I think it's national night out. What am I talking about? Everybody's national night out is tonight. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> right? So, you know, a lot of blocks are going to be closing, the, you know, their block. And, yeah, then you can be in the street. And it's, it's interesting to see children. It's like, wait, we can be in the street? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we have a thing in Minneapolis through the summer. Various neighborhoods every weekend have open streets where, they, again, they block it off. And you can go around. So yes, you can run in the street when, you know, we have stop cars, <laughs> right? You know, there's, but there's rules that have to be in place as there are for any of these other games, the wrestling game. Yeah. For me, 
I want to make sure there's a grown up at least close by before you start wrestling, because I want to make sure if someone says stop, that everybody stops. Mm-hmm. If someone starts crying that we can st- stop and check in with them. And so the risk piece, going back to the other threat that I had, right? With risk, there's, in, there's potential for injury. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I ask you, I ask any of the listeners, uh, raise your hand if you've ever scraped an elbow. Mm-hmm. Ever, you know, had a, if you've had to get stitches or broken bone. I actually haven't broken a bone yet. Oh, I kind of did. That's a whole other story. But, <laughs> you know, we've all endured some kind of physical injury. And we've, many of us, most of us, much of the time, get better from it. Children are extremely resilient with mm-hmm. their bodies regenerate very quickly. But also, many of their injuries aren't at a level that's going to be. So again, I'm not to say that it doesn't happen because there's, there's, of course, there's tragedy. There's things that come up that you, you can't, mm-hmm. you know, that things are going to happen. But if we, we live under this bubble of being as safe as possible, safe as possible, if we really want to be, you know, breaking the, you know, the syntax or getting into the semantics, um, that means your child's not going outside. They're never touching a pencil. They're never going to be out of their bubble wrapped clothing. They're never going to eat anything other than mushy paste, you know, that's mm-hmm. fortified for vitamin. Like, Because all of these things have some level of risk. It's just right. what level do we want to get to? And when it involves jumping off of, you know, this higher platform or climbing trees or things like that, the the risk goes up. and. I want children to be able to start feeling what feels okay, what doesn't feel okay. Because again, like the consent piece, like they are with learning to write their name, like they're learning to, you know, discover letters and literacy or numbers. They need to figure out what they know and what they don't know. I don't know if this is going to be safe to jump off this top of this ladder. I should probably move a little bit down first and see. One example was uh, in our school, the back of my classroom kind of butts up to the entry of the school. So we have an exit door that leads to go um, out of the building. We actually have to go up a, a flight of four stairs. And we use this little landing uh, as a part of our breakout sessions for like, okay, we need to go run and jump and do stuff. And we were jumping off the stairs as many children like to do. Jumping off the first stair, no problem. Everybody go ahead. Jumping off the second stair, Many of them were there. One of my children I knew who was just starting to figure out how to jump was the one that would observe and just do anyways. So I said, well, hold on. I'm going to hold. And I, rather than holding his hand, I hold under the shoulder to properly support if he's going to jump. Because if he falls, I don't want to worry of any dislocation and things right. like that. So and spot- we want him to use his hand when he falls. Exactly. So that's another thing. Like We often think, oh, I'll hold your hand. It actually kind of, it, and yeah, it, their center of balance is off. They don't get to use their whole body in the landing. But I, for him, I knew second step was going to be too much. He wasn't there. His awareness wasn't there yet. But I said, you know, I'm worried you might not jump all the way down. Let's try it together and do it. And he was t- totally fine with that because then he could keep jumping. And we, every time he would go, it would be from the second step. And we'd support another kid in the group, went to the third step. He's like, I can do this. And I said, can you? think about it. Do you think you can jump that far? Yeah, I can. Okay. I'm going to see you try. He jumped and he barely made it, but he made it. 
I said, great. He goes, I'm going to do all four steps. And I said, think about this again. You just barely made the third one. And this fourth one's higher and farther. Look, do you think you could really do it? Mm, no, I can't. I'll go back. And so he went down. So he could self-assess. If he really wanted to try the fourth step for me, I'd say, oh, I'll spot you. But I need to hold you. I need to hold you a little bit while you jump to see if you, because if you don't make it, I want to be able to stop you before you crash on the steps because they're hard steps. Right. So right. again, assessing that level of risk as the adult, I have to do it. And, but again, I help them assess that level of risk. And we let families know in my class and within the school that the part of this big body uh, or part of our curriculum and play is exploring through big body movements through rough and tumble play and that children might get hurt. Right. We're not going to be negligent. Right. We're do our best to keep people safe and to, to do things, to approach uh, tasks and activities so, as, you know, with a mindset of knowing who's participating and mm -hmm. supporting as need be, but not to a level of, yeah, whatever. I'm just going to be out here looking at my phone while right. he jumps off the steps. Oh, and now we have to send you home to get stitches. Right. Sent two kids home to get stitches uh, in my teaching career. And both of them were you know, situations that were not one. We were at a bowling field trip and he tripped with the bowling ball mm. on the bowling ball. And his dad was there and I was like, oh, he really split his chin open. And we <laughs> got the bleeding to stop. And he's like, oh, he's fine. And I said, do you want to keep bowling? He's like, yeah. So they finished bowling and then they went and he got stitched up a little bit later. Uh, that's how important this bowling field trip was. <laughs> the other time were children running way ahead of the group to the playground. And, you know, we had a rule because our playground, to get to the playground, it's a slow incline. And he was running with his jacket loose in his hands. And I said, hey, stop, slow down, slow down. And he tripped over his sleeve just going to the playground. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, sad day. But in those situations, like never has I, have I had a child break their arm from jumping from trees or climbing in trees. No one's ever been concussed from mm -hmm. wrestling games. So, and again, it's not to say that it can't happen, but we, right. do, we play in a way where we really try to limit those, those hazards. Right. Well, and to bring back in that infant toddler perspective, I try and teach them how to manage risk so that by the time they are three, four, five, they can, they can do that. They can look at the steps and decide, right. like, can I do this? And this looks a few different ways, but my kids in my classroom this year would climb up on something and some of them would turn and look it, almost like asking, like, can yep. I do this? And right. I would, I would let them know, like, let's look around. If you fell, what could you hit? If you mm -hmm. fell off of this one, you might hit that bookshelf. Yep. If you fell here, you're probably going to hit the mat. Yeah. Right. So it's just like helping them learn to look around and see Right. What might happen if I fall? Assuming that there's a chance I'm going to fall. Right. What would I hit? How would this feel? And we just talk about that very openly so that they can start to then climb up on things and manage that risk for themselves and right. decide. And I have some kids who would say like, is it safe up here? <laughs> Am I safe? Right. And so then I would go through that whole conversation with them again. Instead of just saying like, yep, you're safe or yep. nope, you should get down. I would talk to them about it again. Well, let's look around. If you fell from here, what could happen, right? And like getting them, like training their minds to start to think like that. Right. And that, it, and I think that those are beautiful examples, especially for young children who are nonverbal or just becoming verbal. Mm -hmm. It's that visual check-in. 
that's a, a part of our, you know, kind of inherent safety net of infancy is we, you look, where's my trusted adult? All right, there you are. I'm doing this. We think, you right. know, there may not be that the, the same depth of processing that we're using to articulate it now, but that's why there's that visual check-in. There's that looking back, where are you, you know? Oh, and you can kind of see that there's kind of that loop sometimes of the new walker who's just going around and oh, and I'm looping back. I'm coming back to my, to my, my person. I'm going to keep, but there's that because they know they need that return. And you're, oh, you know, up there, ooh, there's some hard stuff down here. Hey, let's make a climbing thing in the pillows over here. We'll put some blocks together and then you can, and you create those opportunities where they can, because they want, that's the thing, is children want to do it. Mm-hmm. you know how many how many adults have had to say hey no stop climbing on that don't do that right now no you can't jump off that we have children because children want to do it and right. it's not because they're being sneaky and oh i'm gonna rile you up and i'm just gonna i know this bothers you i'm gonna do this it's because ah oh, my body really needs something right now mm-hmm. when you go to a restaurant you see that family with you know the children who are like three five and seven and you know the three-year-olds just standing on the chair or the five-year-olds like drape hanging upside down and the seven-year-olds just kind of like maybe if it you know they're just like spinning on their spot they might be bored but it's you know sitting for a long time is hard but also their body's saying i need more input right i need well, something and and everybody's going to be different here right and like this is where Ooh, I have a sensory episode with Lori Goodrich. She is just dreamy um, that I've learned so much from. She's an OT and the sensory input needs of different humans and how our big body play kind of feeds that or doesn't. Like there are some kids that they could run on the playground back and forth all day looking for that input, but what they really need is to go upside down. Right. And so kind of learning this about our humans and that within this, we can still set boundaries it, our child care classrooms are designed for kids to climb and jump and move and play. A house isn't necessarily. So how do you, how do you adjust that, right? Like letting them maybe use the couch cushions to build something to jump off of, but it doesn't mean they have to climb up on the counter to jump, right? Like we can manage that and still set boundaries yeah. and have yes spaces and have no spaces. Yeah. And just because kids need to move doesn't mean they get to move wherever and however they want. Right. And, and I think that, again, when we can be clear about that, then children start to understand that. There's, yep, I would, and acknowledging their desire. I wish we could, you know, do stair jumping right now, but we do have to go to the dentist because they're waiting for us. So maybe we can play this game later or, you know, mm-hmm. there's, we can, either we can find another time to do this or, you know what, trying to cross this stream this stream's a little too deep and it's moving a little too fast. So we'll find a, let's find a different place where we can cross at it or, you know, come back another day when the, we're, the you know, you find ways to say yes. And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean again, that they get to do whatever they want. You as the adult are the, you're the trusted group, you know, adult that's rules and, and order are needed. So children feel safe. Right. And if WrestleMania in your classroom doesn't have any rules, it's going to feel really scary to a lot of children. But if it's structured, then you've got the child to kind of touch on what I brought back at the very beginning, that you can still be very involved in big body play and not have to be participating. 
Right. And one of the things we had in my class a couple of years ago was a group that just really loved to wrestle. Like there was a just and it's the same rules as the bumping game where it was one-on-one -on -one and we actually had a four by eight or a four by six mat in the back of the classroom that we would unfold. That was the space. It happens on the mat. Teacher has to be there. It's one-on-one. -on -one. Everybody gets a turn to pick who they want and they ask and they can, the, the person can say yes or no. And then you move on. If they say no, you go to the next person. Ask, you know, and I had one girl who was smaller and was um, a little bit more reserved when it came to this kind of boisterous, rough play. Man, she, she was always there watching every time. And she may not stay the whole time. But she's like, no, and I'd ask her, do you want to take a turn? It's your turn. No, nope, no, I just want to watch. Okay. And that same year, I had a boy who was kind of the opposite of her persona and her personality. He was the one that needed a lot of input and was quick to get upset and um, had trouble navigating what was intentional, what wasn't intentional. But he was one that wanted to wrestle a lot. Mm -hmm. And so with a lot of coaching, and it would be wrestling with me sometimes, like, okay, well, and because, you know, I was bigger and I could say, okay, I'm stopping you now because I asked you to stop and you're not. This mm -hmm. is where, when I say this, you've got, you've got to really tell your body, your brain has to say, body, you got to stop. And he got there. And eventually towards the end of the school year, we had another day of wrestling and it came to her turn. And I said, all right, it's your turn. Do you want to wrestle today? Yeah. Who do you want to wrestle? Him. You picked, you know, the, the toughest one and she got dropped pretty fast, <laughs> but he and I had wrestled so much. And this is another part of that perspective taking is once you've done that, he knows he's a lot stronger than she is because he's got her by about four inches. Mm -hmm. in if he goes as hard as he can, that's not that he could hurt her. And he knows that, okay, now he and I have wrestled because I was bigger than he was. And I told him that oh, I can, you know, I can wrestle a lot stronger, but I need to make sure I don't hurt the people that I wrestle. So he's now been learning about how to, to gauge his, you know, his partner. Okay. I need to, if, if she want, if I wanted this to be fun and I know she doesn't like to wrestle a lot, I probably shouldn't knock her down as hard as I can, but you know, they wrestled she knocked she got knocked down but she got up and she says i did it i wrestled and that was the first thing she told her dad mm -hmm. at the time daddy today i wrestled and she was so proud of herself it, and, but it took her months right to get to a place where she was ready to do that right want to honor that i'm not going to push you you're not going to be ever you know it's not everybody has to take a turn you can sit and you can watch every day if you're wanting to walk across the top of the monkey bars like the other kids are doing in the gym, you're not ready yet. You just watch, because then all the, the you'll you might get to that point where, okay, now I'm ready to try it. I've seen enough people do it. I've seen the adult there enough times where they know nothing. They're not going to let me fall. It's so frustrating to spend the money and effort to buy your kids clothes just to have them grow out of the size within a week or have your kids complain that they itch, pinch, or just aren't comfortable. If you're with me on this, you've got to check out Posh Peanut. Their sensitive skin-friendly clothes are made from viscose from bamboo, stretch with your kid as they grow, and they're also made to last. 
Posh Peanut makes thoughtfully crafted, super cute clothing for kids and families. It is the softest thing, y'all. The design is all done in-house with different patterns and it came in the mail and I was like, oh my gosh, I wanna wear this for myself every day. Their luxe women's pajamas and robes were all that I wanted to wear postpartum for nursing and hanging out on the couch with Mila. It helps so much that the fabric is breathable and chemical-free, which means they're delicate against Mila's sensitive skin too. And I totally get why Posh Peanut is loved by over 1 million parents. Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code VILLAGE. Go to poshpeanut.com village and use promo code VILLAGE for 20% off your first order. That's poshpeanut.com village, promo code VILLAGE. Hormone Harmony is an all-in-one hormonal balancing solution for women of all ages. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like chaotic hormone changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. Hormone Harmony is perfect for those horrible menopause symptoms that put your life on hold, like hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, poor sleep and feeling tired all the time, occasional bloating and gas. Yeah, Hormone Harmony can help with all these things. And the biggest benefit? Feeling like yourself again. That's what women mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 17,000 reviews for Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code VILLAGE at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code VILLAGE for 15% off today. Right. I've seen someone fall and get caught, right? Like somebody caught them, right? right. And that... And that, so there's that level of it. And there's some who just always want to exert. They, they don't want to play. That's not their thing. That's okay too. You don't have to be a child who, or an adult who loves to, you know, wrestle or be in that physical contact or do these big things. And, um, you know. That's me. I want to watch. Right. And <laughs> never should there be a time where you're like, nope, listen, you got to, it's your turn to be in the wrestling match. You have to do it. Yeah, or you don't get a star today. Right. <laughs> what What are you talking about? <laughs> right. You know, but you might be the one who helps keep the time for mm-hmm. the match. Or I want to organize the system. Right. We would find, <laughs> if you wanted to be a part of it, we, we as the adult would find the way. Mm-hmm. What's going to bring you in? What's going to be the most comfortable? Do mm-hmm. you write notes? Do you keep stats? Do you just simply take? Do you help take pictures so we can show the families the games we're playing? What is it that helps you feel comfortable and brings you in? And the other part, before I lose this thread again, big body play, rough and double play. We also think it's big, it's loud. It has to be really a lot of action. And oftentimes it does, but it's also the other side of it because in order to be big and bold and strong, you need to kind of be on the other side of what does small feel like? How do you, how can you turn yourself into tiniest shape Mm your body what does that feel like when you flex all your muscles as hard as you can and then you let them go you flex them again and you let them go 
because then you feel the contrast of this is really exciting. Oh, my muscles are really going. Oh, this is what it's to relax. Because we all oftentimes calm down, relax. <laughs> and, but you're like, I don't know what that feels like. Right. I don't understand what that means. I don't know how. Right? What do you mean this? So if we can do activities when you're not amped up and ramped into the into the big feelings, we can do it at group time where we we're closing it, or we do yoga and we you know, just let your body go. Let everything feel heavy and let everything just be loose. And they don't even try to think about blinking your eyes. Just let them be closed. You know, we can go, go through these kind of guided things of being on the other side. So children know, okay, I'm getting excited. I've got to come back. And now I know how to get back to this point. I've tried these different strategies. This is what works for me. You know, that there's this means of regulating. I use a similar example. I'm seeing something like if you flex and contrast, you know, you feel, especially when you flex everything from count to five and then you let it go, your body just whew, has a natural mm-hmm. wave of calm. You know, you need to feel that side of it. Uh, a similar example I'm thinking of is when it comes to literacy and space. So when you're learning to write and children are just figuring out words, they write, 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 and you get one long word, no spacing in between. And the teacher's like, okay, now you need to add a space, put your finger on the page, and then write on the other side. And some people get that, but if you've never felt what space physically is with your body, it's harder to really regulate what space is. So if you're, you know, I give that example in a presentation and I ask one of the audience members, can I get really close to you? Can I sit and can we touch shoulders? Yeah, okay. So can I come up and I go, so now we're really close together. Oh, you're saying you need space. I need to take a step apart. Mm-hmm. Giving that language to children, playing those games where we play tag or we we play statues or we do things where we're mapping that, again, that language to your action and what those actions feel like and how do you express those feelings. Right. That gives you the language for later on. So if you uh, like, if you want your children to write and to know how to to read, they need to play tag. They need to climb on the monkey bars. They need to climb trees. They need to be able to, um, you know, run through the hallway or on the playground. Right. Well, and what you're describing is just the sensory system at work, right? Of like being able to recognize where we are in space in relation to anything and everything around us. Right. (laughs) Right. My tiny humans that like bolt across the room over someone, run into the chair, fall into something. Like, okay, we really need to work on where their body is in space because they weren't able to see the things along their path. Right. Whereas the next kid behind them goes and like, without thinking, meanders their way through. Right. Right. Yeah. If, you, if you've got your two-year-olds and everyone keeps bumping into each other, you might think of a game to play in your large motor space or at large group that really focuses on moving around each other or mm-hmm. moving around other things to help these two-year-olds who are just starting to understand, you know, because they see the stuffed animal or the baby doll over in the dramatic play area. Oh, I want that. And they just straight line through everything. Nothing seems to, you know, like they kind of just plow through it. Oh, hang on. When you walk by, you knocked over your classmate. Oh, and now they're, they're crying because they got bumped into the bookshelf. You know, I, I know you really wanted that toy. Let's go grab it in a minute, but let's check on them first. All right. And, you know, but as you're, as you're Mm -hmm. already doing, helping map 
this language and to their to their actions, but also that just to make sense of to make what is abstract very concrete. Right. And before we kind of move on to anything else, I want to just come back a little bit when you were talking about the boy who you wrestled with, who you had to like teach him what is consensual touch. Yeah. For me, like it's just so I've been very open about being a sexual assault survivor. And mm-hmm. one of my biggest focuses in early childhood is I believe that we start to teach this from infancy, right? This idea of consensual touch. And so how, and how are we doing that both with language and emotional regulation? But I think your example here, rough and tumble was like another clear way that we teach that, that he had to learn how big and strong his body was in order to understand how to regulate it and control it in different situations. Mm -hmm. And through rough and tumble play with you, he got to learn that so that when he wrestled that little girl, he didn't hurt her. Right. Right. But like that for me, I'm like, oh, thank you. Thank you for molding this child who could have gone on to not know his own strength or be mindful of it. Or, and I don't think it comes from a place of like not caring. I think it's more of like, I'm not mindful of my own strength um, that you got to teach him that. So thanks. Thank you. And you're you're (laughs) welcome. But I think that's my, that's what I hope we all are doing because I agree that this is this, especially with the, I mean, we unfortunately know physical assault, sexual assault, emotional, these all things have been happening for a very long time. And thankfully there's a movement now to start saying, not anymore. This is, this has happened too much. I'm not going to sit on this, but if, if we were to talk about these things with children in these very young ages, you carry that with you. Right. You start to think and you start to feel and you start to realize your actions have reactions. They have responses. They have, you know, feelings connected to these things. Right. This is the time to, in a sense, not, I don't want to say make mistakes in the sense of like, you get to touch whoever you want. That's just going to be great. It's not that. (laughs) But we know that there's not this, specifically with sexual assault, there's not a sexualized charge to the touch or the exploration that's happening with young children. But this is where we talk and do through games. Oh, hold on. When they say red light, that means you have to stop. Mm -hmm. So we start with red light, green light before, so there's no body, you know touching that has to happen but then we get into wrestling or we get into take oh they're saying stop remember what that means and oh yep that means when they say stop i stop moving or i stop coming after them right and then when they're a teenager and they're with this partner who they're and they're like ah you know what? i'm just not ready for this part yet mm-hmm. i gotta stop cool right let me know when you're ready or you know ah, you know what actually i'm kind of really thinking the same thing i was doing what i just thought you know it might lead to more discussion and conversation, right. which then hopefully brings a lot more healthy humans and adults into the world. That's that's my biggest push for early childhood education and like for, for my, again, because my preschoolers, when they leave, they're going to kindergarten. Mm-hmm. I tell my families, my least con- biggest concern if that, if that makes the least biggest. The least biggest. <laughs> I'm less concerned that your child leaves my classroom able to read, write, count to 100, know their shapes, know their colors. What I'm more and probably most concerned about is that they have a strong sense of self. They have a strong sense of empathy. 
They have a strong sense of connection to their community, to their classroom, to their family, to again, to themselves, that they can express their feelings, they can honor other feelings, they have a sense of humor, they've still got this incredible burning uh, desire to learn and discover and ask questions and their sense of wonder is only just growing more and more because if all of that emotional kind of and I'm you can't see but I'm circling my heart as we're, <laughs> as we're talking here um, but if that's regulated and that's feeling stable and secure your brain and all the academics that's going to come together yeah if you have a strong sense of who you are, you your perseverance, your determination, oh, I realize that I might not get this on the first try. I'm probably gonna have to keep trying. And then on the fifth try, oh, you know, like that. Or I tried to cross the monkey bars and it's taken me months and I finally got to the end. I can't tell you the joy that I've seen erupt out of children who finally conquered the monkey bars. But they had to have the emotional intelligence to regulate the frustration, the disappointment, the sadness for the months that they didn't right. accomplish and that. Because the for those who get that early on, there's some of that you don't have to tell, they just they come with it. And you know, they're just like, I'm gonna keep doing it, I'm gonna keep doing it, I'm gonna get to that bar because they know it's the process. For some kids it's like a one and done thing. And right. for some kids it comes. I think for some kids they're naturally mm, more empathetic or that it's easier yeah. for some kids to process emotion. And I honestly think that this is related to the sensory system and how regulated their sensory systems are. But I think that every kid is capable of getting to that point. Yes. I, I completely agree. I think that there, there, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that there are no bad children. Yeah. You know, that they're, you're being bad, you're being naughty. No, you're just using a strategy that I find frustrating or that isn't working for the situation. But if we keep working on this, we're going to figure out a way that's going to be better for everybody. Right. And like I was kind of saying that, you know, that's what I want my families to walk away with, that your child's going to be ready to enter the world confident and strong in themselves. So when they have to do this later academics, they're their sense of self is strong enough when they don't get a hundred percent on the spelling test, not a big deal. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to get it. Cause you know, I know I can figure these things out, but if you, you know, what you, if you got a third grader who has just been called names and teased on the playground and they're feeling destroyed inside, they're not going to care at all about the lessons that they're supposed to be learning. Mm -hmm. Yet they're still accountable for it. And if you have a teacher who's not seeing this upset feeling, or this child who's really just feeling, you know, right. crushed on the inside. Well, then I'm in. A, I'm not in a place where the adults really care about me. So I guess I'm not really worth being cared for. So right. I guess I should just keep doing this, and you know, or so, that the teachers don't have the tools to support them through it. Right, and if you if you go through life that way, then it it's a lot harder. Yeah, and, and other choices get made that might be not as healthy or not as helpful or you know what they could not just be doom and gloom because i think again many of us have lived through really hard things and have grown from them but if we can start as you know any child that we work with with this strongest sense of self mm -hmm. i really feel like we're going to make a lot of strides to really kind of improve all of our lives together because as it as is the name we're we are a village we're together in this you know all is one 
Right. And if we could come together, we can really do a lot of amazing things. We agree. Ross, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to come back and talk more and more if the, if you'll have me or for if sure. like he, he talks way too much. No, I love it. <laughs> I love no, it. This is great. And I'm, I, I look forward to future conversations and I look forward to you joining us on Teaching with the Body and Mind to talk about okay. your world of sleep and the importance of that and also just, you know, sharing all your wisdom and love of working with, you know, these wonderful tiny humans. Thank you. So I will link to your podcast and I'll throw a link to your school on the blog post when you're when you're up and running and ready to go. Oh, that would be great. Minnesotans are lucky. Is that what you call oh, yourselves? Minnesotans, yeah. <laughs> Does that work? <laughs> that works. That's for sure us. I was like, yeah, no, Minnesotans is right. I was like the thing uh awesome well thank you so much have a great day you too thanks for tuning in to voices of your village check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com if this podcast has helped you on your journey please take two minutes to leave a review on itunes thanks for joining forces with us to cultivate this modern parenting village Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.